Are you a rebel seeking transformation in your recovery journey? Then 366 fucking days sober is the book for you. 366 daily meditations. This book by the SoberPod Recovery Podcast host and professional rebel, Carl, will help guide you towards a new way of thinking and living. Each daily meditation offers a fresh perspective, practical advice, and a healthy dose of Carl's irreverent humor to help you stay sober and embrace the challenges of life without drinking, drugging, or shitting your pants. Whether you're just starting your recovery journey or looking for a daily dose of encouragement and laughs, 366 fucking days sober is the book for you. So, if you're ready to transform your life and become the rebel you were meant to be, get your copy of 366 fucking days sober today. Available today on Amazon.com. Nine years. Nine! <laughs> nine, <laughs> nine! <laughs> I'm Carl. Uh, I'm an addict alcoholic and all the above in my sobriety is August 22nd, 2014. My name's Chelsea. I'm an alcoholic and my sobriety date is February 19th, 2015. This is SoberPod. SoberPod.com. 366 fucking days sober. Yeah. Sober pie, keep it authentic, no facades. If it's real, then you know it's ours. Welcome. Sober Pod is a podcast dedicated to the idea that one addict or alcoholic helping another is crucial to building a life in recovery. Join us on this season as we read from our book, 366 Fucking Days Sober. And as always, stay active, stay sober. Nine! (laughs) Happy birthday to you. Oh, no. Happy birthday, Chelsea. (laughs) <laughs> if, you, if you guys you guys can't see right now, but I'm 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 licking my fingers and rubbing my nipples on camera, and it's, I'm just going all in. I, I, have, I have Chelsea tattooed on my chest. Oh so my appropriately, God. You know, with a big nine on it. Yeah, it's just just it's awkward for her. So, so um, <laughs> so <laughs> a lot of people checking out the member section right now, going, "Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute." Like, oh, uh, really? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Let's check this out. Um. So Chelsea, it it is your nine. What what was your date again? February nineteenth. February nineteenth, twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen. How how does time fly? It doesn't it fly? It like does. Twenty fifteen yeah. does not seem like almost a decade ago. Exactly. exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's wild. So how old were you when you uh, when you got sober? How old were you? I was twenty four. Oh dear 24. lord! You were just like a, just a young baby, just a, <laughs> just getting out of puberty. Oh my goodness! Yeah, God. But I had been drinking like off and on for ten years. You know, yeah, yeah. You no, know, it's by like, that point, so. again, I was I was you know twelve when I really when I went hard, right? And I don't, mm-hmm. and I think people like when they hear that they go, "What are you talking about?" Like people who have normal lives, you know, um, people who raise their children on a normal level like they don't <laughs> understand that like at 12 years old when you're unattended you could really do some weird stuff right yeah i mean you can mm-hmm. really get into it um and and i you know when you're unattended that's just how it works so um 
So for yourself, like you, you say you were drinking for 10 years. That's like, so you had to be like what? 13, 14, 15 is like when you really started to yeah. go off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, all right. Tell me, tell me, I always, you know, I always really love the first drink and the last drink stories. Like I always loved taking my first drink. <laughs> like, but I was like, like, cause I was, for me, I was like eight years old when I really had like, you know, I, I, I literally got a beer from the fridge and nobody was home. Right, just me. So check this out. I'm eight years old. I grab a beer from the fridge and I run to our like little local, you know, every kid has like a little hanging out spot, right? Um mm-hmm. and I ran to my our local hanging out spot to to drink a beer and smoke a cigarette alone. Right? Like I'm eight years old. What eight year old kid do you know that's doing this stuff? It's gotta be some messed up eight year old kid. So yeah. when was the first time you like had that kind of a feeling? How old were you? Uh, well, I mean, I was 14 when I, when I first drank, um, you know, I'm trying to think if I did anything prior to that. Um, I don't think I did, to be honest, like I didn't smoke weed or anything beforehand, but you know, um, I, I got into some trouble, started hanging out with some not so good people and Chelsea. (laughs) <laughs> and tisk, went tisk, tisk. went through some traumatic events, which made me want to rebel, I guess, or whatnot. So, um, first drink, I went to a party with uh, friends, at and 14? it was a college party at fourteen. Yeah, oh, hanging out with the college kids at fourteen. Yeah, oh, you really fit in. You must... <laughs> <laughs> Do we... <laughs> I I was a little uh, a little promiscuous, little hoe back oh. then, but also like. I, I don't know. I feel like I didn't Maybe really that's where my we age. actually connect more. <laughs> Being a little hose. I was a man whore. I was, a, hey, I was actually I was <laughs> just in the shower thinking, um, funny. I was like, I mean, uh, how many people? I was thinking, so uh, j- j- a somber moment. Uh, Jason, one of my good friends, I just found out this morning he died. He, uh, he last night, I don't know how it happened or whatever, but he got hit, uh, in, hit in the head or he hit his head and, um, and, and it's uh, it's having a real shitty morning, uh, uh, but but I always had fun with the dude, right? Like it was really super fun. So that was part of it. So I was sitting there thinking, like, um, like how funny it would be to stand up at a eulogy and like really kind of like let all the cats out of the bag about all the weird shit that we did. And so, um, so uh, but one of the things I was thinking about, I was it came to my mind. I was like, oh, there was like that other girl, and I was like, oh. Here's another one I didn't put on the list. It's like the longer I stay sober and the longer mm-hmm. like, you know, the sex inventory is there, the the more people I add to it because I forget about, you know, uh, whatever her name was. Right. You know, yeah, I was such a yeah. man whore. I was such a man whore. So, okay. So, so you're out there scooping up the town, hanging out with the college kids, and then you're going to a, a college party. So what happened? So we just, I mean, we went to a college party, but I had like, I don't know, kind of a, a similar moment of, of wanting to be alone with it like you. Yeah. So someone handed me a beer and, you know, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm like, I definitely want to try this, but like, I don't know. So I like, I take it into the bathroom and, um, like stare at my stare at my reflection in the mirror for a minute and I'm like okay like you can do this like it's okay but like I also was an idiot because I had just smoked like weed right sure. before then yeah you know and we all know that weed 
in alcohol too. Coupled with beer yeah, is yeah. just not good. Not for me, especially. So, yeah, yeah. so the first, you know, when I, uh, so eventually I did drink it, but I like, you know, was tasting it on my own because I didn't want to look like a fool if it like tasted nasty and, you know, so I like drank it. And then I don't even know how much, how long it took, but I started getting sick and, um, you know, went into the bathroom and threw up. Sure. That's the weed in the the, the beer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so that was kind of like, you would think, oh, that's not very appealing. Right. Well, in my mind, I was like, well, it's because I smoked weed, you know, with the beer. So now that it's like out of my system, I should be good. So going forward, I, I continued to just drink beer. I didn't drink anything else that night. And then the buzz hit me and I was feeling all loosey goosey and feeling like no cares in the world, completely uninhibited. And I was like, I want to fucking do this every day. Mm-hmm. I want, I, I just want to be drunk every day. Like why, why did I wait so long? Why was I so scared to like drink this? You know, and it's like, you're fucking 14. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but it, it was that quick. Um, it, it was that quick. Like that first time I drank, even though I had kind of a shitty experience where I like threw up, I still like was determined to, to forge on. So, um, from then on, like my entire like shift or my entire focus shifted to, okay, like where's the next party? Like where's the next drink? That was all that mattered to me. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, my, my grades plummeted. Um, I stopped hanging out with like my good friends and I started hanging out with only people who would party and, um, you know, had some strained relationships and whatnot. Um, it could lower your standards fast enough as they say, right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. But I just kept doing riskier and riskier shit. Like I would, I would drive drunk. Like when I, when I got my license, um, I would drive drunk, uh, without a second thought, you know, I'd be, I'd be like, okay, like I'm not like spinning and I'm not like you know like totally out of it I can I'm not bouncing off of mailboxes I could manage just you know double yellow line even though it's actually a single yellow line (laughs) yeah which is terrible like you know I'm not proud of that but it's something that I did and it's um it's something I did even in my adulthood too Mm -hmm. Um, not just when I was a kid so um you know, I just did all sorts of stupid shit. Like I remember getting so drunk one time that I had to be carried to this guy's car and they like, I like rolled the window down and we're driving on the freeway and I just like am throwing up out the window and it's all across the the guy's car. And I'm just like, like he was pissed off at me and I like didn't know didn't know that I had done that, Mm -hmm. like even the next day. So it's just like, there was a lot of shame. Fast forward. I, um, was getting a little sloppy with, uh, how, how careful I was, how sneaky I was around my mom. And, um, my best friend actually had told my mom that I was drinking a lot and getting into trouble. And so my mom threatened to send me to treatment 
um, when I was, God, I think I was a junior in high school. She's like, if you don't, if you don't stop drinking, like I'm going to send you to treatment for a year at least, mm. um, you know, until you're and like your 18. Mom's a, a therapist now. Yeah. Well, she wasn't her whole at the thing, time or was she? No, she is. Okay. She is. Yeah. But like, she was like, if you don't get it together, cause I was already in therapy and doing all that shit. She's like, if you don't get it together, like you're putting my license at risk. Like me, me having someone underage that's consuming alcohol, like puts me like my entire life. A lot of bad light on your mother, let's just say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It does not look good. Um, So, you know, she, it scared me enough to uh, decide that, okay, well, I'm just going to stop drinking and um, shift my focus to like getting out of high school as fast as fucking possible as possible because I thought, oh, if I'm going to college, it's acceptable to drink in college. So the sooner I get there, (laughs) the better off I'll be. So I was able to, you know, I wasn't drinking like every day um, by that point. It was, it was just like whenever I could find a party. Yeah, yeah. So I quit pretty frequently. <laughs> yeah, it was, but I mean, it wasn't daily. No, I, I get it. Yeah, I did the same. Um, yeah, yeah. But um, so I doubled down on school. I took like online classes at night and just like busted my way through, and so I could graduate early. So I did graduate early. Um, I don't know, like six months earlier or something, and to start and started going to. Um, college uh while the rest of my friends were still in high school and i was like this is fucking perfect so i just picked up right where i left off um so i just i basically picked it back up where um i left off but now it was like going to frat parties and hanging out with like people in college and now i'm close to college age i guess um and you know, things weren't slipping yet. My grades weren't slipping. Like I, I had a job, like things were fine. Um, and so it was just a matter of, I needed to be ma- more mature and be able to handle myself. Um, Drink that, like that's what a I lady. thought. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I was just foolish. Like I was, I was dumb, you know, but now, now I'm in college and I, I've got it all together and, oh, sure. you know, <laughs> but I absolutely did not. Did you have a job or are you just going to college? No, I had a job. I, I worked at a coffee shop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like I, I've always been pretty responsible, but, um, you know, so fast forward, I don't know, a year or two, um, still in college, my brother, um, my brother's really sick and he needs a heart transplant. And there is a day where we actually get called that there's a heart available. So we go to the hospital and, um, you know, we're getting ready for him to go to surgery. And, um, I'm, I'm feeling like really excited for him, but also very scared. And I say goodbye to him and I said, I'll see you when you get, when you get out. And then I immediately leave my entire family to go and celebrate uh, because we waited 17 years for him to get this transplant. So now I'm going to go and celebrate by getting wasted. 
Um, and that's one of my biggest regrets is, you know, like leaving my entire family there, you know, not being present for my brother, mm-hmm. like while he was going through like a life changing or possibly life ending surgery, you know, I just had to go and party and quote unquote celebrate, uh, that event. And, um, I didn't go back to the hospital for until the next day. So like I completely missed him coming out of surgery. Like I was not in the loop. I was drunk. (laughs) <laughs> you know, by the time like all of that happened, cause that surgery was like 13 hours or something. Um, well, that's a lot of drinking you can get done in 13 hours, really. Yeah. 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 Um, and I just remember like doing beer pong with friends, um, that night and, and being drunk and being so happy. But then like the next day just being like, wow, you're, f- you're fucking selfish. Like that was, that was really selfish and just feeling like so shitty about myself and hustling back up to the hospital what about your to see family what I at missed. that point. Like, did you, did they ever say, did they say anything about that? Like what do you like, where were you the last 18 hours? Like we we're all sitting here. Like, where were you? Like they didn't, that, they didn't, but they knew what to expect out of you. I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I think I'm going to have to ask my, my parents like what they thought about that because. Sure. I bet they like, thought the same thing you thought. Right. So yeah. that's it. I, I mean, it's just yeah. like, there she is being, she's young, she's being dumb and she's selfish and she's out drinking mm-hmm. and maybe she can't handle it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I can totally understand that. Yeah. 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 Go on. Sorry. A, a part of me did feel like, you know, uh, I couldn't handle it because that was a lot of pressure. Like that was a lot like, so like everything would have to go 100% perfectly mm-hmm. in that surgery for him to survive, you know, because it's, it's a major surgery. You're taking a heart out and putting a new one in like, yeah, no, I'd say that's crazy. <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy. The one thing that we need to keep your clock ticking. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think a part of me, I was just kind of, um, trying to, um, ignore and, um, so was I don't that, know, just, that wasn't your last drink though, right? No, it wasn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. I was, I'm trying to think. I was only 19 when that Oh, wow. When that you still happened. Got a, you still got a whole other, you know, career to go in terms of your Yeah, another five sure. years. So, yeah. um, but that was like a really, like, important time for me to, like, look back on and see, like, how shitty I was being yeah, and how much... That- that define your alcoholism, right? And that yeah. is like one of those moments for you where mm-hmm. it's like, here's a very clear indicator where I should have been a different person. I should have acted differently. I should have been, again, a a loving, caring sister, a member of my family who is like, you know, reliable, dependable, and all these other things that maybe all these other people are, but you are definitely not, right? So, yeah, yeah and yeah. it's a clear indicator of, again, our our disease, right? Like, you know, uh, we're self-centered, you know, selfish, you know, again, not really caring of others, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's, it's pretty clear. Like you could just stick a pin in that moment and say, yep, here's, here's the ism on, you know, on display. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and I don't know that like a lot of people know that part of my history, like how much that really has affected me going Mm -hmm. forward. And, and, 
you know, if people aren't talking about it, then who's to know that it was a big deal. Right. Mm -hmm. But like to me, to you, you however many years later, like it, it is a big deal still. So, um, but that did not deter me from my course. So <laughs> wild horses on. couldn't keep me away from a bottle of rum is all I'm saying. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I continued to drink. Um, I took on a job that, well, I should say I moved away for a little while and that was bad because, it isolated me. Um, I didn't have like my family nearby. I didn't have a lot of friends. It was just me and my boyfriend and there's not much to do in this small town except fucking get drunk. So yeah. So uh, the job was like, what only fans? Like what was, <laughs> no, <laughs> what was no, no, I, I worked at a hospital, but I mean oh, like, okay. but at that time they're just like, it, it was such a small town. Like I didn't know anyone and all I wanted to do was drink anyway. So, um, things kind of escalated there, you know, mm. so much like I, I had to get my wisdom teeth out during that time. And, um, you know, what makes, uh, makes you feel like really drunk is, um, when you take pain pills with, <laughs> with your booze. <laughs> and, um, so, ran through those way too fast. Not because I liked those. I didn't like the pain pills per se, but they enhanced the drunk. Yeah. Like, you like you know, the feeling they, that, yeah. So I liked, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I ran out of pain pills and then, you know, had, had dry socket and had to call the doctor and explain why I ran out of pills. And, you know, well, like yeah, one of my just, best drunks was when I, I threw my back out and I went and I got a shot. Is it Dilaudid? Is that what they call it? Yeah. Uh, uh, and so I got a shot of that and then uh, they sent me home and then I cracked the vodka and boy, I just had the, I mean, I still had pain, but boy, I had the best night ever by myself playing mm-hmm. video games. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, it was like, it, I mean, the pain was, it was just, the pain was there. I just didn't care about it as much. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I really, yeah. I really did enjoy the Dilaudid and, and vodka. <laughs> yeah. And I know that's like such a dangerous road, but like at that point I did not care i was just all i cared about was that it was enhancing my my drunk and mm-hmm. um you know so like another thing that i look back on and i'm kind of i'm ashamed of like wow really like you ran out of your pain medication when you were just like <laughs> getting drunk and not utilizing it for what you should but that's the disease so um left that small town came back to salt lake because i hated it up there um started working at a treatment center with crazy ass kids and my whole justification for why i would drink every night would be like well if you had my job you would drink too you know um and that was just that just became like the habit like my boyfriend and i were drinking buddies if he didn't get like a 12 pack, then I'd get a 12 pack on my way home. Um, and, uh, and we just, we'd get drunk. Like we both had like, you know, full-time jobs and we were responsible, but we just drank in excess. And, um, you that know, went on for a while. I was gonna say, it's ironic how, um, not how ironic, but it's, it's like, how we fall into our alcoholism as we get older and we think that that's like how people are supposed to live. I know Mm -hmm. that that's like 
the I took on the same role. Like I, you know, honey, I'm home, you know, and uh, and put, the very first thing is ice in a glass, you know, and and that's like that that sound became synonymous with me coming home, right? Hmm. And and again, it's just like that's really like that's all that there is to it. And I don't know if yeah. you know, I think it's taken a long time actually for that to to break. That's synonymous, you know, yeah. click, 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 click. And like, oh, what's he doing? You know what I mean? So every time I got ice in a glass, I'm sure my family was cringing when I first got sober. So yeah, yeah I get it. So yeah, it's, it's weird how we, we end up like that. We, that we just start looking at our, that are the way that we drink. It's just a normal way of life. And, and here's the other thing. It's our disease is so sick. It's like, you know, I envisioned all my neighbors. I don't know about you, but did you envision like, that that's just the way it was like for everybody. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, isn't it just strange? Like you just, mm-hmm. but now it's like, I'm sober and I'm like, my neighbors don't drink like that. <laughs> they don't, yeah. you know what I mean? Like they drink on occasion. And then maybe I mean, some I, people do, but like, that's definitely not the norm. Like if you take 10 of your neighbors, like maybe one yeah, drinks exactly, like that. Exactly. But yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, um, had that job for a while. Um, and then moved on to like a, a rehab, drug and alcohol rehab. <laughs> the irony. That there's um, the irony right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and my both my boyfriend and I worked at this rehab together and we like would go home and get drunk together. Like it's just very, very interesting. But And just laugh at all the pamphlets that you took home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, ah! Hey honey, read this big book thing. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, you know, I, I was, I've dealt with depression for like a good chunk of my life, like probably ever since I like started drinking to be quite honest, like when I was 13, 14. Um, and I noticed that my depression was like continuing to get worse and I would take antidepressants, but the thing about antidepressants is they're not very effective if you're drinking on top of it. Mm. Um, and I, I thought, okay, well maybe if I lose some weight, like then I'll feel better about myself, you know, but I, I was getting pretty desperate. Wait a minute. So Um, you're telling me a depressant is not good if you're taking antidepressants? I guess not. (laughs) I learned that the hard way. (laughs) Uh, so, um, I was depressed. I was working at this rehab. I was, you know, nobody there knew like how much I drank until there was, uh, I don't know. We were just shooting the shit like back in the office and there were a couple people sitting around this round table and, um, I had just casually mentioned like, oh, well, I drink every night when I go home. And I just had like, I remember their their necks like turning yeah, really like, like, to look at me like, the yeah. fuck? Ears perked up. Eyes yeah, got a little was, wider. Yeah, and I was like, uh. Suddenly the chairs deal. form in a circle all on their own. <laughs> it's like, I'm not an alcoholic. Like, it's fine, you know? But then like that kind of planted in my head, like, okay, maybe this isn't normal like how I drink, like if they were all just staring at me like that, but am I going to stop? No. So I continue on and I, I hear about, um, 
you know, dry January because it's like, uh, it's the new year and it's a thing about dry. Yeah. yeah, It's a thing. Um, and I was like, I don't know if I can like do dry January. Um, but you know, I, I would like, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about stopping drinking because I was going to the gym, trying to lose weight, trying to feel better because I was very depressed. Um, and I wasn't losing the weight. So, um, by the time February rolled around, I was like, okay, like the only way I'm going to be able to really like lose any weight is if I stop drinking. So, um, I'm not going to do it, uh, on my birthday, which is the 17th. Yeah. Who stops that, on their birthday? Yeah. No one does, <laughs> you know, no one does. So I was like, that's out. So it'll be like on the 18th, I'll be completely done. Um, so the 18th comes and, um, like clockwork, I just pick up and start drinking. Like Oops, I knew I, forgot. I, I was going to stop. <laughs> yeah. But like, I knew I 100% knew what I was doing and uh-huh. I just like, it's like, I just could not hold, hold back because there was like, rem- there was wine remaining in the fridge and it was going to go bad. It's going to go and bad. Yeah. Like <laughs> if, if I don't drink it and then there's like, this this like type of beer that I wanted to try, you know, like there were just like excuses galore. Yeah. So then the nineteenth came, and I, I just remember being so ashamed and so mad at myself. Like for the day before, you said you were yeah because yeah, you yeah. said you were gonna stop. You don't have a problem with alcohol, so why couldn't you stop? Yeah. And um, y- you know, just like feeling so shameful, like that I, I had this like moment of weakness where I couldn't like get it together and just not pick up a drink. So then I was like determined from that moment forward, like, okay, well, like I absolutely cannot pick up a drink at this point because then I'll know I really have a problem with alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, and so thank God I white knuckled it that day, but I made it myself. Yeah. So here's the, I really want to go back to the feeling of like, there's that you talk about that shame in, mm-hmm. um, and that's the, you know, for me, you know, I had already lived a lot of hard times, and and I've been, I had been lower actually than where I was this last time, but uh, I, I guess that's the thing is I, as I, I, I always felt that like I'll never go beyond this, right? I'll never get above this in terms of my self worth, how I drink, how I operate who I am in general, I'll never be able to change. Right. And, and that's where I like, because I had done so many other things before. And you know, it's funny, like I even do that exact same feeling that you're talking about, not just with drinking, but I'll do it with like browsing for instance, right. Or YouTube or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. like my other problems. Right. Um, yeah. and it's like, I just, I, there's like this amount of shame and hopelessness. And I, the idea is this, it's like you let yourself down, and it was just you and yourself having this conversation. There's nobody else like pressuring you, right? Like nobody else is like, it's not like you were when you were 14 or 15 and being told that Chelsea, you're going to go to treatment for a year or whatever. Like mm-hmm. that didn't even stop it. Right. That's what I love. Is it like, you know, it's like, you know, like you're, you're threatened with like, you know, getting, I mean, essentially incarcerated, right. You know, yeah. uh, against your will, I'm sure. And yet, 
it doesn't it, it takes until all the way till like 24 years old before you're like you know what like the thing that breaks you is the you let yourself down right and then mm-hmm. it's like that personal inner inner shame that like does it and i think that i i really relate to that because that's something that like um i kind of felt towards the end too it's like i just like i could not get above where i was ever and i just didn't know what to do anymore is that how you felt is there like an inner shame that like it was that kind of connection that like i'll never you know or was it more that you're going to prove that you're not an alcoholic like where was it i think it was both i think uh you know, there, there definitely was that inner shame, but I very much like, I, I had some fear now, like, oh, I have to like prove to myself that I can stop. Like otherwise, I've been saying all these I'm years. I'm going to be a completely an alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise yeah. that, what does that mean? That means I'm probably, I have a problem with alcohol and what does that mean? Then, oh, then I can't drink. And you know, like, and that's I did terrifying. not want to believe that. <laughs> yeah. So I think it was a little bit of both, you know, shame is, it, it can be really powerful, a powerful motivator. Um, and I think, you know, it was in my case, um, but it isn't for everyone, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I honestly, like I, I say it all the time. I don't know how I got through that first year sober other than by the grace of my higher power because I had alcohol in my house all the time. I was with someone who was drinking all the time. Like when I was at home, um, I wasn't, I didn't have a sponsor. I, uh, when I started, I started going to meetings probably, I want to say maybe like a month after I stopped drinking. Um, you know, but it, it wasn't like a meeting every day. It was like a meeting once a week, maybe twice a week, mm-hmm. you know? So I was doing all the things wrong <laughs> and all the things I knew because I worked at a rehab and I like worked in that industry. I knew what I needed to do, but I just wasn't doing all of it. I did meet with a psychiatrist and I did have a therapist, which I think really helped. But yeah, yeah. um yeah, it, I honestly like I, I do feel like my higher power kept me sober that first year because I was there's there were so many things that could have gone wrong to lead to a relapse that just didn't. So, um, you know, and with, with my whole journey of getting sober, I think the biggest change, one of the biggest changes I went through was, um, probably about like six months, six months sober. Um, I gave my boyfriend an ultimatum because I was like, if you're going to keep drinking around me, like this isn't healthy for me. And like, you're not a nice person when you're drinking. So um, what are you talking about? I'm the greatest. That's what <laughs> exactly. I That's what I said. I'm, like, I'm um, really a good guy when I drink. Not. Um, and so I gave him this ultimatum that it's like, hey, like if you aren't ready to like make some changes for yourself and like grow with me, then we are better off apart. So we um, took some, a couple of days away from each other and came back. And ultimately he chose to, you know, make some changes for himself. Um, and not just, 
to keep me like, you know, fortunately, because they could see that have been like a, I don't know, not very effective long term because mm-hmm. you can't make people change. And I realized, I realized that as much as I wanted to like control people and change them, you can't. So, um, but I'm, I'm just, I'm so glad that I did that because our relationship now is like so much healthier. Like we communicate better, but it wouldn't have, I wouldn't be able to stay with someone and try and stay sober with them constantly drinking around me. Mm-hmm. I just personally couldn't do that. And but I don't he also think that didn't seem to have the same affliction that you did. Right. So he was able no, he, to just kind of curtail his yeah. stuff and not, and not mm-hmm. obsess about it or whatever, or, yep. or, or, try to uh try to lose weight while drinking a six pack etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah <laughs> I, I didn't have to negotiate that that as well yeah so well that well, so, so that's good so then he he says yeah you know what this is this is not healthy for me he's a problem drinker at that point but he decides yeah you know i i'm gonna leave it right and and, right. and he does i mean not, not totally but he just decides hey yeah i'm gonna i'm not gonna do this to the detriment of this person that I love, which is great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I have found is like definitely not the norm. Like, unfortunately I have not heard of ultimatums like that going well in most cases. Uh, and I, and I haven't heard of, you know, many couples who are both problem drinkers, both stop drinking, you know, mm-hmm. not to say that it can't happen, but you know, it's, it's not as, um, it's not as common as I thought it might be. Yeah. The, the, uh, let's just say a, a lot of marriages and relationships do not last in recovery. Right. Yeah. So one person getting, you know, sober, et cetera. And, and, and so I wonder if there's like a higher percentage when two people get sober because <laughs> they, they yeah. both realize like, oh, we really don't like each other. We're out of here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you never know when you remove the alcohol, you end up, you know, with uh, with uh, an asshole <laughs> so, mm-hmm. a lot of the times. So, um, so Chelsea, so then you, you get you go to meetings, you're starting to go to meetings, you're like starting to do the deal. What is the, um, what makes it more of a lifestyle for you? Like what turns your, the corner to like, I am quote unquote, I'm, I'm committing to sobriety, but I'm not really serious about the lifestyle. What, what really changes it for you to like really make it that? What is the, what is the catalyst for that? Oh, that's a that's a good question. I feel like it it happened gradually over time. I don't feel like there was this epiphany, epiphany or, you know, specific moment where I was like, "Yep, this is my life now." You know, I just kind of like grew into it. I think um one thing I I noticed was I used when I go to meetings, I used to pick out all the reasons why I'm different from whoever's talking, you know, oh, I didn't live this or I've never done this or I'm not a 52-year-old skinny bald white man. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. (laughs) I I picked out all those things to try and set myself apart because I still didn't want to be a part of this club, right? Of AA. You had all your Um, teeth. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, how could I? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I... Um, you were 24 then, years old for crying out yes. loud. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry to be female, 24, have all your teeth, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, I, I I can imagine that you were like... And again, you know, around all these creepy old dudes, because hey, let's just face it, like, dudes, all these old dudes, they perv really hard. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they just can't help themselves. That's just what they do. So I couldn't imagine being you walking into a meeting. It would be terrifying. Like, I, yeah. again, talk about, like, you know, not identifying. Like, I would definitely mm-hmm. not identify with a bunch of you know, pervy sober dudes. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're not, they're not totally pervy, but there's always a few, you know what I mean? So, so it did help. It did help going to like a young people's meeting. Oh. Um, that, that tends, that's been my like primary meeting. It's like uh young people in recovery or whatever. I would imagine. Um, yeah. which is generally like, been a better group because there are these weird fucking old dudes who, are creepy that I just yeah. like, I'm like, well, never going to that meeting again, you know? <laughs> I'm, so, um, I'm sorry. I won't go to those meetings anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think, you know, once I started identifying with people who were speaking and looking at how our stories were similar or how I related to them, when I started identifying myself as part of this community, um, that's when the growth really started to happen, mm-hmm. you know, and that's when I started being okay with, yes, I'm an alcoholic and that's okay. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. life goes on, like we're yeah. going to move forward. It's, some people have this, like really this, like, oh, you know, uh, putting the stigma on it. I'm not going to wear this badge of this, like, you know, alcoholic and da, da, da. And it's then like, you don't. Know, Exactly. I mean, yeah, <laughs> great. But here's the thing: is it doesn't change the fact, right? It doesn't right. change the reality of it. Like it doesn't like call it for what it is. I literally have a problem drinking alcohol. Period. Right. So mm. I don't care what name you put on it. Right. And again, so uh, you know, we say alcoholic just like we like for a shorthand, just like we say the word God. Right. It's a very complicated subject. Right. So. So we say alcohol just like we say God. It's like we're trying to just convey the overall aspects of what the problem is. It's just like saying cancer or diabetic. You know, it's like they're mm-hmm. very complicated things, but we just put this label on it in order to identify quote unquote the problem, right? So it's not yeah. like it's a it's not like it's something that you know like uh, again because people put a paper bag, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I had to redefine it for myself. I had to think about it very differently for myself so that I could own what my my problem was, never mind anybody else's, right? Yeah, I may not be under, you know, uh, uh, an underpass or, or is it overpass? I may not be under, <laughs> under an overpass <laughs> and, or dumpster diving, you know, with, with you know my brown paper bag and my beer or whatever. But, the, you know, the fact is, is that I have the exact same problem that they do, I just happen to be living in a much nicer house, right? With, without yeah. having to hide it in a brown paper bag in public. So, um, so, so you identify. So that's where you start to really get your growth, and say, and then, and then, what about from there? Like, what, what is it that keeps you in, like recovery? What is it that keeps you staying sober? What is it that, like, is the, like, as you go through your days now, like, what is it like? I mean, I, honestly, I mean, like. I, I can't even imagine getting sober at 24. Being, how old are you now? Like, what is it now? Uh, I'm um, Tomorrow, I'll be 33. Tomorrow you, is your actual birthday? 
It's my actual oh, that's right. birthday you said tomorrow. That. You said that. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> so that happy birthday is all the way around. So, um, so then what's it like now being 33? Cause it's just such a distance, right? And to yeah. have, it's like almost growing up in like in the idea of recovery is like, do you feel like you feel like you're at a spot where it's like, you're much more comfortable with your recovery, your sobriety? Like, is it something that is like that you don't even think about? How is it today? Like when you get up in the morning and you know, I don't know, <laughs> I was going to say something stupid, but when you get up in the morning, <laughs> I'm going to say some really bad stuff. I'm so glad I didn't. <laughs> terrible stuff so when you get up in the morning what is it how do you go about your day today i mean the first thing on my mind is not alcohol first and foremost and um most of the day i don't think about alcohol which when i first started this seemed impossible because it was all i thought about you know it didn't matter if i was around it it was on my mind like when you know how long is it gonna last you know, how long am I going to have to stay sober? Sorry, I'm yawning here. Yeah. Um, well, you know, you've been, you've been doing pregnant. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I don't think about alcohol quite as frequently. And when I do have a thought about alcohol, it's like, oh, it's alcohol, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's not like this obsession that I used to have. And I, you know, if I'm having a particularly bad day or just a weird day, like occasionally, yeah, I'll have a craving, but I can acknowledge it for what it is and let the thought go. Um, that was not the case nine years ago. <laughs> um, I, I feel like, um, I did grow up quite a bit, you know, uh, most, I feel like most of my adult life has now been sober, Um, and I'm grateful for that. But at the beginning, I was kind of thinking when I came to this realization that I'm no longer going to be able to drink, my life seemed over, you know, like it seemed like I will never have fun ever again Mm -hmm. because I can't drink and I'm going to miss out on so many things. Yeah. You know, it's, (laughs) it's ridiculous, but, um, those are thoughts that we go through. Like, you know, um, was I really doing much like in, in the current day back then? No, I was sitting on my ass watching uh, live PD. Yeah. Yeah. And getting drunk. drunk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, ah, idiots. Look at, they got pulled over. I didn't on the way back from the liquor store. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I, I, so, so I guess that's the thing. So when you, when you, one of the things I, I, I hope you can talk about a little bit, which is to say like your aspirations or your hopes, your dreams, like all the stuff that you like, again, as we get sober, we start to really define ourselves and we start to really start to understand who we are on a different level. It's like, you know, we, we thought we were one way and then we end up like becoming another and we don't realize like, wow, that was, you know, it was within me the whole time. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like, but we don't realize it. It, it truly is, right? You know, I, I know it sounds hokey, uh, especially if you're you know, just getting sober, but that's the truth of it. It's like you are capable of so much more, and you know that today, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's like, so talk about like the, you know, like when you start to redefine who you really are, and then like you go, okay, and then what do you do with that? Like what happens when that happens? 
Well, I mean, it's all, it's all a process. Like I had to really figure out who I was deep to my core at, at the very beginning, right? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to rebuild my entire life, but in the process, I'm having to figure out who the hell I am, what I like and what I want to do like going forward. Um, therapy helped a lot with that, but as time went on, you know, I, um, when you, when you start, I guess when you start living your life instead of just like existing and, and getting by, you start to have goals, right? You, you start to have dreams or, or things that you want to do. And, um, I've, I've never been one to just stay like content in the same spot forever. So I, um, I was working in healthcare, but I was also working with addicts, alcoholics, and psychiatric patients. Um, and I learned a lot from those people and I had always wanted to, um, go into nursing, but it just seemed like such a daunting task, like so impossible to achieve. And, um, one day I just got sick of like playing this, uh, waiting game, trying to get into different programs. And I just, uh, applied for a private college and I went and I busted my ass out. And then I got, um, my degree in nursing and became a nurse. And, you know, that was something that seemed so impossible, you know, and when I was drinking, I was so stagnant, like everything got put on pause. Like I was never progressing or moving forward because I was just content in the status quo and I wasn't moving in a direction. I would just live. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. And then I would feel sorry for myself because I'd be like feeling shitty, like, oh, all my friends have these careers, they mm-hmm. have these degrees. They're doing stuff. They've oh my got gosh. the family. Yeah, yeah. You know, and nothing good ever happens to me. Well, it's like, no shit, because you have to fucking put the work in. Go you know figure. what I mean? Well, wow, that's such a snap back to reality. Yeah. Oh, there goes gravity. <laughs> <laughs> seriously i so and i think it's wonderful because here's the other thing is i also got to watch you do this right like mm-hmm. i you know once, once a week you know uh you know I, I got to we get to sit and get on this microphone and we do this stuff so it's been five years or so so i've watched you and it, we both by the way i don't know when it was back in 2020 maybe uh, uh we talked about uh um our goals, right? We were going to establish our goals mm-hmm. after that. And uh, mine was to write a book, which I ended up doing. And then yours was to become a nurse, period. Like, that's like, it's so like wonderful to see it. Like, um, you know, that if it wasn't for doing what we're doing and if it wasn't for, uh, you know, what we talk about in terms of recovery, it's like we hold each other accountable in very different ways, not just for our sobriety, but for all the other aspects that we push for in our lives, right? And we, and we, we get it, we get a built in cheering section. Right. Just because that's yeah. what we're doing. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that part about it. So uh, so let me just say part of my book, by the way. Uh, so I, I in this, this thought process, because I I thought about you uh, when I was writing June 17th, uh, writing uh, the 366 stories in this little uh, book that I've put together. <laughs> right. So and it basically says this. <clears throat> 
time. It says this, uh, June 17th. We didn't get sober just to get sober. We also didn't get sober just to help other addicts and alcoholics get sober. Though it can be fulfilling to help another person on the road to recovery, it must also be considered that we have things we would like to do in our hearts and personal aspirations. Some of us prefer nothing more than to help others, and that's wonderful, but stepping back into society and feeling useful and whole again can take many forms. Some of us take on a new skill or hobby, join a religious body, or get a master's degree in a chosen field like Chelsea on the Sober Pod Recovery Podcast becoming a registered nurse. There are many paths to personal fulfillment in recovery that can also lead to service. Though these new adventures, so through these new adventures, we genuinely demonstrate our recovery outside of the rooms of recovery. How important is that, right? So, and I think that you're just like a shining example of that person who is, um, you know, who didn't, and who hasn't really like been like, oh, into recovery like you know what i mean like you were for a while like i know you were but mm-hmm. like but as you have like looked around you and you said what else? wait what am i really doing here right you know like what am i really going after it's so admirable to see you like as a registered nurse and then now going to be a mama you know what i mean and and mm-hmm. yeah you're tired and everything but you're you know what i mean and but you're still doing this as well so it's like so and the, your chosen field is definitely a service oriented field and you couldn't do that you couldn't be of service unless you stayed sober right because otherwise you know again back to who we are right so i i just yeah. it's just so admirable to see that that part of you so chelsea as you um as, as you um uh, the reflections for that reading are what are you doing with your newfound life Right. <laughs> and so and, that, and so it, that's why I wrote it, because it really reminded me of like you and like what you are doing. And as, as an example, I think that it's like sometimes we lose sight of the fact that like, you know, um, that there's more beyond sobriety, that there's more beyond just like. And again, you're impacting people in different ways. You're participating in different ways. Um, so, Chelsea, what would you what would you tell the, the young person out there that? the 24 year old because again that's what this was created for right what would you yeah. tell the, the young person <laughs> in my mind anyway what would you tell the young person out there who is like who's had enough and who is who's ready or who is looking at themselves and feeling that shame about how they're participating in their own lives you know mm-hmm. what would you tell them well first i would say uh there's no such thing as being too young to get sober you know, or too, you know, or too old to get sober. Like there's no age requirement. Um, the second thing would be, um, you don't have to feel this way again. You know, you can make a decision to go a different direction. It really doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't. It, It might seem impossible, um, and, and you might be creating barriers for yourself that really don't exist. Um, that's part of the disease. Mm-hmm. You know, I had every, every fucking reason why I couldn't get sober or, you know, why it wouldn't work or why it wouldn't do anything. But the, the truth is, uh, a lot of that was all in my head and, and not reality. Um, reach out to someone who like if you know someone who's in recovery or who is sober someone that you trust talk to them about it go to a meeting find a therapist um 
you know, there's, there's so many resources out there now that we have these little computers in our pocket Yeah, right. everywhere we go. <laughs> um, you know, but don't hold it in. Like the worst thing you can possibly do is hold everything inside and not talk about it. Um, you know, I, I used to think that what I thought was absolutely fucking crazy and it is, but guess what? Like <laughs> you get is. with another crazy person, like and they probably thought so it crazy. too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, but I talk about it like uh, in my, um, I say it all the time. It's like, you know, before I came into the rooms, like I've always also all always been known as crazy Carl. That's been my moniker. Right. You know, so if mm-hmm. you, if you knew me, they go, there's two Carl's in the room and they said, which Carl? They said the, the crazy one, right? That's how they would identify. Me. <laughs> and oh. so in, in AA, in, in, in the likes of recovery, this is the only like uh place where the, I haven't taken on that moniker. Nobody's put that moniker on me. If there's two Carl's in the room, they probably say the skinny one. Right. They don't say the crazy. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? So yeah. it, it's it's so it's really strange sometimes, you know, uh, uh, to be known differently. And I like that. I really do like that. So mm-hmm. um, it's the only place I've known that I've been um, I can walk into a room and I can feel comfortable in my own skin and I can be there and I can know that I'm I'm I, I, I hold a different space in, in those rooms than I ever did on the, on, you know, outside those rooms. So it's a very different place for me. Um so, so that's what I would say to the young person. Come on in. The water's fine. <laughs> but, you know, but again, you got to give up. You got to fall on your sword. You know, I guess, you know, I was thinking when you were saying that stuff, it's like I was thinking about my young self. And, I, you know, I was so afraid of looking um, like a wimp. You know what I mean? I was so afraid of, of telling somebody that I was afraid. You know, I was so, mm. so afraid of telling somebody that I was fearful and that I didn't. And I didn't know what I was doing, you know, and it scared me. It scared me like, you know, I could never have said that before. You know, now today it's like, you know, if I don't know something, I'm like, yeah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I just don't care because I know what comes after that is the learning and the lesson, you know, right. and thank goodness, right? Finally opened my mouth to get the help that I needed. You know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, people. So squeak mm-hmm. all you need. Squeak all you need. All right, Chelsea. What do we what do we say to the kind people when we just want to end this show very quickly? Well, I say deuces. And I say stay active, stay sober, and don't forget to tip your waiters and waitresses. Soberpod.com. 366 fucking days sober. Yeah. It was a sight to see them. Yeah. Breakfast was Sprite and sequins. Wrestling with my vices, exercising my demons. Uh. My blessings were blocked, so I never got the message. I'm stressing, I'm only 12 steps from an exit. Damn. Regret it, because my imperfections were perfected. I ain't run from it, I accept it and rep it. It's a badge to me, good stories come from a tragedy. And when you survive, the glory will come in Act 3. Three. The wait's over, 366 fucking days sober. Morning affirmations that can start the day for you. Use my favorite book, for a placeholder, finish when the day's over, okay? Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, sober pod, keep it authentic, no facades. If it's real, then you know it's ours. Welcome. Welcome. Are you a rebel seeking transformation in your recovery journey? Then 366 Fucking Days Sober is the book for you. 366 daily meditations. 
This book by the SoberPod Recovery Podcast host and professional rebel, Carl will help guide you towards a new way of thinking and living. Each daily meditation offers a fresh perspective, practical advice, and a healthy dose of Carl's irreverent humor to help you stay sober and embrace the challenges of life without drinking, drugging, or shitting your pants. Whether you're just starting your recovery journey or looking for a daily dose of encouragement and laughs, 366 fucking days sober is the book for you. So, if you're ready to transform your life and become the rebel you were meant to be, get your copy of 366 fucking days sober today. Available today on Amazon.com.